fans wherever you may be. Welcome inside the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and featuring 12thManRising.com editor and football analyst, Keith Myers. Hey guys, welcome to the Hawks Playbook Podcast. We're at it again. I'm here with uh, Keith Myers. Hello, Keith. Hello. How are you on this incredibly sunny day? Oh, it's great. The forecast looks amazing. And finally, because I was literally just not happy with 55 degrees and drizzle for my 200th day of 2017, it seems like. So this is awesome. This is really awesome. So I'm your host, Bill Alpstead, and today we're here um, uh, continuing our uh, kind of mini um, multiple episode uh, podcast on uh, the position group battles on the team. Uh, we're still on the offensive side of the ball this week. We might get to the defense uh, defensive line this week, but our, our focus um, is the offensive line. And uh, so it'll be a fun podcast to go over all the offensive line battles that we see. Um, And then uh, we've got a bit of news at the top here to talk about, and then we'll get right to it. Um, Something's going on with with Michael Bennett in the news. It's it's another one of these off-season kind of manufactured (laughs) things where players are talking to media folks you know locally and nationally and and misunderstandings and you know it just is a bunch of noise to me it doesn't have anything to do with football but it's something to talk about because it's it's may and there's nothing else really going on so what happened with uh with stephen a smith first well what happened with 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 that that was i I don't know if you remember but um a couple of years ago you had uh richard sherman went on first take with with Stephen a and uh the whole the quote that came out of that is you know i'm better that better at life than you um, and that was skip skip bayless. Was, it was skip bayless but it's the same yeah, show it's right um, yes and since since god since, i'd love that my since, mom loved that and she's 73 <laughs> or whatever you know she was, was like awesome. oh my god that was great so bayless has moved on he's now with fox but and Stephen a is still there he's still running the show and you know trying to make up for the loss of of bayless he's got a little bit more extreme and crazy in his takes and and um you know michael bennett went on the show and actually had tried to have a calm civil discourse with uh Stephen A and um you know actually talk about some of the issues and everything and I thought it went it went really well it was it was it definitely showed the thoughtful side of Michael Bennett sure um, and he can be very thoughtful absolutely yeah he can be i mean he can also be funny and kind of loud and and a goofball. Um, yeah, exactly as a human should be, right? Yeah, uh, he's just, he's just a very big personality, and just he's a totally lovable guy. But um, you know, he went into this with something in mind, and he tried to be very calm and very thoughtful and very you know, um, very just trying to have this discussion, this meaningful discussion. And I thought it went it went incredibly well. It was a uh, a good look for him, and it. It really like was a kind of a meaningful experience for people who are watching. So I thought it was pretty good. Um, and so, but there are people who just took exception with it, and that's I don't know why because of what was being. I maybe it was just the subject matter, but the, you know, anytime a Seahawks speaks up about something other than football, uh, there are people who take exception with it, and that's kind of what happened here. You know. Pete Carroll likes these guys because they can be themselves, and I don't have any problem with that. But what happened with Matt Calkins locally at the Seattle Times? They kind of got into a spat, and and uh, Bennett said, "You know what? I don't need you guys. I'm just gonna I'm gonna ban you guys." Yeah, I mean, Calkins <laughs> is. Let's just say he's polarizing, um, and leave it at that. I, oh yeah, oh sure, because I. You know there there are stronger words I could use, but I'm not going to because we're a family show here. Um, but he basically said, 
I don't mind Bennett's message, but I don't like the messenger. And called him immature. And, yeah, why the immaturity, he said. Yeah, and, and just basically just ripped into Bennett, not for football, not for anything that he says, but just personally. It was like this big personal attack. And Bennett was like, seriously, that's what you're coming at me with? And he's like, fine, I'm just not going to talk to you anymore. And I'll convince some of my teammates not to talk to you either. And then... <laughs> um, the higher ups at the Seattle Times took that very seriously because they know access is what they need. And sure. so that, of course, uh, Calkins had to issue this big uh, apology column where he wrote out everything. And yeah, it yeah. came off. It came off very much of a um, my bosses made me write this. So I'm yeah. going to apologize without apologizing kind of thing. And it was I don't know. We'll see what, what happens. From it. I actually kind of think this is entertaining and I'm willing to watch and we'll see what happens because it's summer and there's no football games and there's not even football practices right now. So, Hey, I'm all, I'm ready to be entertained by something else. And this is entertaining to me. Well, speaking of football, uh, football, which is why we're here. Uh, Seahawks uh, were supposed to start OTAs this week. I believe it was Monday with the rest of the league, uh, but Seattle and Atlanta, were penalized for uh, excessive contact in practice from 2016, and the penalty is in place uh, on the OTAs right now. They were scheduled originally to have 10 sessions. Uh, they took three of them away. Now they have seven, so they don't start until next week. So we don't have anything to talk about with regards to new practices and how players look and all that stuff, but um, uh, a podcast or two from now we'll have plenty to talk about there. Um, and then it'll hit the, the real dead zone and we'll have to make stuff up to talk about. We won't be making <laughs> stuff up, but we will, we will have to, we will have a dif- more difficult time deciding on uh, topics for those, but don't worry. We will, we I will think since, I think since we can, so. since we can talk so easily, Keith, I think what we sh- we should have a podcast where we just don't have anything to talk about and we just start talking. And, you know, we'll fill the hour and then we'll name the podcast after we get done. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the sad thing is we could probably do that because you and I are both really yeah, long-winded, yeah. so it works. That's seemingly. So let's get right to it, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, what I thought that we could do is um, go through the line and just start with the centers, move to the guards, and end with the tackles. Some of them are um, are players that play multiple positions, but um, we'll kind of have an order to things. So um, with regards to the center uh, position battle, we've got uh, two or three backup guys, and then we've got Justin Britt that's it, seemingly entrenched right now as the starter, at least this year. He is under uh, in his contract year. Um, who do you see uh, at center that – could even give him a run for his money, not no name Posick. No one, not not even Posick, uh, because he won't be practicing at the center position. He's going to be uh, vying for the starting right tackle job. So since he won't be practicing there, um, I mean, he might get a little, a, a few snaps here and there so that he's available as a swing guy if they need him, but he's not going to be there, um, you know, doing snaps and, and practicing at the position day in, day out. So, and as a rookie, that means he's not going to be pushing Britt. And I just don't see either of the other two guys doing anything that that will um, push Britt out of his job. So the other two guys are Will uh, Parasak and Joey Hunt, who we got last year. Parasak's been floating on the practice squad and in and off of the roster for a couple of years. Um, and to be quite honest with him, he's been floating so long, I don't even remember how he plays or, you know, what he looks like or how he moves. It's just another guy on the roster. Yeah. He's one of those guys that uh, starts every year in camp and then ends up on the practice squad. And then somewhere along the way, somebody gets hurt and he ends up on the active roster, but then never shows up in uniform on right. game day because he's always on that inactive list. So, uh, but the team keeps him around because he can play center and guard. He moves. Okay. Um, He's reaching the point, though, he's in his third year. Um, he's he's going to run 20, out of time. He's already 27. So this is this is really his last shot, I think, to make a claim to be on the active roster because if he can't um, get there, I think they'll just replace him. They've got younger guys that are 
in that same, you know, that same area where they can uh, float on the practice squad and then, you know, maybe get bumped up midseason if there's an injury type of thing that are younger and, you know, have more, de- you know, more development in, in them. So we'll see what, what happens there. But I, this is really his uh, last hurrah, I think, to try and make, make the, the Seahawks active roster. So the other guy that we've got, Joey Hunt, we picked up in the draft last year in a late round. He's kind of undersized at 6'2", 299. He's still only 23 years old out of Texas Christian. He's kind of uh, a scheme fit for the Seahawks as he played in a zone scheme in college. Uh, But that size issue for him, some centers uh, definitely make it at that size. But uh, it seems like a disadvantage to him in this particular situation yeah i mean the the six two uh is definitely i mean he is he's easily and he may have put on so he he may have put on a few pounds i'm not sure i'm not i i grabbed the roster off of the the site off Mm -hmm. seahawks.com but i'm not sure if the weight for him is updated yeah i mean you you look at the you look at the seahawks roster and the height let's just start there because 6'2 is two inches shorter than anybody else who was on the active roster last year. Um, you know, the only guys that are 6'3 were Parasek, who was on the practice squad, and a um, rookie undrafted free agent that we'll talk about later. Um, everyone else is 6'4 or better, so which gives you an idea of, of this, where, where we're coming from when we say undersized, because you just think 299, that's only a pound, and he might have put on some weight and all of that. Um, but he, that what you lose with him is he's not very tall. He's not very long. He doesn't have the longest arms. Um, and these are things that the Seahawks value with their zone scheme. And Joey Hunt just doesn't bring to the table. But what he does bring is the same thing he brought last year, which is a really high football IQ. Really good at getting people lined up and calling protections and recognizing blitz and and that kind of stuff, and doing those things, which is why the Seahawks liked him and why they were willing to take a chance on a guy who's so undersized. And that stuff's not going to go away. In fact, it's only going to get better with another year in, or with a full year in the NFL and in Seattle's system. So um, a lot of... I think the, the question oh, remains, Keith, are all the Seahawks going to have a dedicated center like Joey Hunt, who doesn't play any other spot on the line, on the roster. That becomes the hard part for him because he is significantly too small to play guard. They like their guards to be, you know, uh, six, six, three, fifteen type of guys. And, and he's not, he's a center. He's, and he's only a center. And unless he can learn the long snap and, you know, make a carve out a role for himself at, on special teams type of thing, uh, he's gonna, he is at a disadvantage to making the roster. But, or any roster in the NFL, I think. I mean, he would always be on the bubble yeah. on any roster, I would think. Yeah. But go down, go go down the list of other guys um, that the Seahawks have. Who else plays center and another position other than Will Parasek? So, is it? Do you are you going to keep um, the twenty seven year old who's at the end of his rookie deal uh, over the twenty three year old in his second year? Um, and that's or, or the rook that we got in the draft. Well, true, but Which, he's going to be playing tackle and guard this year. And are you true? Are you, are true, you but Justin Britt's in his contract year. Well, Justin Britt's in his contract year, so they they do need to add a hedge there. And I believe that they did that intentionally with uh, with Ethan Posick in the draft. Where yeah, they know he can play right guard, right tackle, but this could be their center of the future if if negotiations go south with Britt. Yeah, but you're also looking at what are you going to do this season, and are you okay? Are you okay, really focus ask, on this season. Are you really going to ask Posick to uh, fight for the starting right tackle job, learn enough about um, the right guard job that he can be a backup there and play if he needs to and be that swing guy, and also learn enough um, at center to be the backup there in case Britt gets hurt. Uh, and I think I think that what you just said is, much. I think that for me, I think what you just said though is a somewhat realistic option that is 
on the table for the team to look at. And the only reason I say that is you can, and we'll talk about this a little bit later when we talk about other positions, but you can, you can paint a picture where Ethan Posick doesn't start because of some of the other battles that we've got going on and literally backs up two or three positions. And I think centers might be one of them. I'm just saying, I realize that there's a lot to the center position that he would have to pick up, but he came from playing that position in college in his own scheme. I don't know that it's a huge jump to think that he could back that up. Well, and the thing is, if he was practicing in that position and if he was in there doing, you know, the things that he needs to do, day in and day out absolutely he could do it um but the just the idea of having him have to learn three positions in his rookie training camp i think is it's too much to ask of a guy now it might be one of those things where if he if if jermaine fetty steps in and just owns that right tackle spot um then okay you're because now you're looking at we there's no pressure to keep um uh, Posick at right tackle every day in practice because he might be starting uh, and they, they can move him around more and then yes but unless that happens is the longer that it goes that there's a a, a, right. a position battle to see who's going to start there the longer it goes the less time at center Posick's going to get and that's why I think that you're going to see someone else whether it be Hunt or one of the other guards um that get, will get time at, at center so they can be the center guard, you know, inside guy um, uh, as a backup and then, you know, go from there. I, so. I think, I think what you said is intriguing because, um, and I, I didn't intend to have a 10 minute conversation on at the center position, but here we are. Um, <laughs> I, I think, I think what you uh, said as far as how long it will be to uh, take for them to determine who, is starting at either right guard or right tackle. I think that is key to whether or not he gets any time at the center position going forward, because you're right. And, and to the Seahawks credit, they do seem to settle these things fairly quickly in camp. I mean, it doesn't take much more than a week for them usually to identify their guy. And if he doesn't bomb, he's their guy. Yeah. So you look at, at, you just look at at the roster battles that they've had uh, two years ago. We knew in um, the, in the OTAs and mini camp that Drew Nowick was going to win the starting center job. Uh, The team didn't say that was what the case was. They, you know, painted this picture of this three man um, battle, battle, whatever. But we, you could tell in mini camp that, that Drew Nowick was going to win the job. And then they got into training camp and it was obvious, like Tom Cable had made up his mind and Drew Nowak was going to win the job. Now, that worked for like six weeks in the year until they realized he was never going to get it. And then they basically cut him and... and They bailed, yeah. You know, just completely bailed on the plan. But despite... There was a lot of evidence that that was what the case was going to be all throughout training camp, but Cable had already made up his mind. And so you're going to look at oh, and then then you look at at the uh, the the next year, and you kind of see the opposite of what happened because he had his, um, you know, Cable had his five guys picked out coming in, and uh, Alvin Bailey just didn't cut it at left guard, and after after the first preseason game, he shuffled the line, brought Gilliam in at right tackle, moved. Um, Britt from t- right tackle over to left guard and shuffled the line. And that was the line, you know, that, that they had going forward that year. So um, that whole, like that whole situation, like it's, it's kind of the opposite of what happened with the Drew Noak situation the year before, but we still had, um, actually, no, that was the same year, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kind of off the, my memory there, but you have, you have two different situations. One where he obviously made up his mind really early and the other one where he had appeared that he had. And then when, when everything kind of fell apart, he changed his mind and, and went in another direction, right. but he did it quickly and stuck with it no matter what. So I think we're going to see some similar things. You're going to, by the time we're, we're a week into training camp, we're going to know who the starting five are going to be. I think so, Keith, because they do go through the OTAs. They see these guys every day. They, you know, and so they they have a pretty decent idea of who's who their five are probably right now. Mm-hmm. But 
uh, they're going to go ahead and let let it play out uh, in camp for a little while, and we'll see where we go. So let's go. Let's move on to guards. So let's talk about uh, who we've got. So we've got Mark Lewinsky. Uh, we've got an undrafted free agent in Jordan Roos. We've got Reese Odiambo, uh, Ode Abushi, and I think that's it for now on on. Uh, fighting for the guard position. So I've got well, I've got two got, right guards and two left guards you've plus also got Posick. Jermaine Fetty and Luke Jokel who are supposed to be the guys that are at tackle but right are listed right, as guard right, right. and could be and could very well fit into the mix here and into the competition too. Um so we can't leave them and out the, and the, the same reason time, I'm that not I, sure they're going to be sure. involved either. Well, the the way that I have it in my mind and the way that I did it for us here in my notes was that um, Cable came on uh, the radio, what, a week or two ago and kind of listed out his ideas of who was going to battle on the sides and, and who at guard and tackle and so forth. So we had Jokel, Fanton, Odiambo on the left side, Britt at center, and Glowinski, Abushi, Posick, and Afedi on the right. Um, so I from that, I kind of had an idea of what he was seeing and where he had his guys out. So I definitely had Jermaine Effetti at right tackle. I penciled in Luke Jokel at left tackle only because, and just from, for the start, it doesn't mean that might be where they end up, but for discussion purposes, I had him at that tackle that mm-hmm. at, at this point. So let's talk about Mark Glowinski <laughs> though, because he started at left guard all year for us last year, but they are intent on moving him over to right guard. Which I, I mean, but they're trying to open up a spot, and I think they're trying to open up a spot and let um, the Jokel, Adiambo, um, you know, Fant kind of grouping on the left side, get two out of the three in there, you know, um, and give those guys a chance to get used to working together and that kind of stuff, and so they're going to move uh, right. over to the right side, but... You look at last year's line, and you had Britt, who played at an above-average level, and you had Glowinski, who played at a league average to slightly above-average um, level in his first year as a starter. And really, those were the only two guys that played at a competent level all year. And why are you messing with your second-best offensive lineman? You know, especially a guy who has one year as a starter— uh, under his belt, they should leave him there. I guess if you're going to move him to guard, but pencil him in as a starter, and yeah, you know, switching from left to right is not that big of a deal when you're doing it in in an off season. But just do it, get him there, and know that you've got a competent guy rather than all of the shuffling and never knowing where people are and just messing with all the continuity and everything. I, it, it, it's very frustrating me that Glowinski, who actually played well, um. Is, is on the move. Is on the move and not being not being given an opportunity to hear. This is your job to lose. You know, go. You know, go keep it and go get better. And so they're just continuing to shuffle, continuing to move people around. Right. It's, I just don't see it. So as it, it seems to me that the continuity loses to the best five available argument for Cable because his argument is we're going to put the best five guys out, and he brought Jokel in which changed the equation for them on the left side. Mm-hmm. And so now they they see a big jump in Fant. Uh, Cable said that Fant was 293 in February. He's now at 320 pounds, quote, wow. from Cable. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. so here's a guy in Fant that could quite honestly make that jump that nobody's expecting and, and stay at left tackle. Joker would move inside uh, at guard. Odiambo would still back up. And then uh, there's no place for Glowinski, so maybe they're thinking ahead of time. We're just going to go ahead and move Glow to the right. Yeah, I mean, I can see that too. It, it, to me, it comes down to Fant because if Fant is, if Fant is a competent player, then he's either going to start or he's going to be the primary backup at, at offensive tackle, and and you're going to be okay. Um, there is, it's believed that he has a high ceiling and a lot of potential, but he was not a competent player last year. Um, he did well considering his lack of experience and all of that. Um, but that is, that's a huge, um, 
caveat there. He did he did well, all things considered, but that doesn't mean he did well. He actually played really, really poorly. Um, so yeah. if, if he takes that big jump and becomes a competent player, okay, then I can I can understand that because now you're you're looking for at a guy with a really high ceiling and you want to get him on the field. What if he doesn't? So now you've got Reese, who never really showed a lot last season, especially yeah. at guard, that you're penciling him in as, as, a, as, a, as a starter when you could have, um, you know, Glowinski sitting there at the starting at guard. So I don't, I'm a little confused by that. It's basically they're looking at the best case scenario and assuming that's going to happen. I'd rather, yeah. uh, I'd rather be a little more conservative and, and go, okay, what if he doesn't take that step that we think he's going to take? Let's make sure we're covered. So we kind of know what we've got in Glowinski. Let's talk about um, let's talk about a couple of guys uh, that were brought in uh, either in free agency or undrafted free agency or or whatnot through the draft. Uh, Abushi over there at right guard, competing with Mark Glowinski. Um, so everyone is kind of assuming that Abushi is on the roster, and they're kind of giving him the status as a lock. And the more I look at this and the more I think about the way the draft fell and the, that they got Posick and um, I'm not convinced that Abushi is a lock because Tom Cable uh, values run blocking much, much more than pass blocking. And Abushi is more of a pass blocker than a run blocker. He's not a particularly powerful guy that moves people um, off the ball. And when things get crowded he's our single most experienced to... yeah he he's is. our single most experienced uh lineman other than jokel they came into the league at the same time yeah and Abu... abushi and jokel are 25 think of it about it that way um yes. they're they're the, the two guys <laughs> with the most experience and they're 25 um but i think that both of those guys um because they came in young uh, they were they were young draft young when they were drafted. They do despite their age. They have uh, they do have a lot of experience, and I think that's one of the things the CX wanted when they brought in Abushi was was to get another guy, a guy on the interior with some experience and with you know some of that veteran knowledge, uh, some leadership, and they'll have that throughout camp. But does that equate to him giving in a roster spot once yeah. the season begins? And I don't know. Well, and and Keith, like I like you said, I think it was. Uh, bringing him in was definitely a hedge on the draft mm-hmm. and, and they did pick up Posick, And so now what do you do? Yeah. So, um, is there room for, um, for all of these guys? Do you have, you know, between Posick and Effetti, one of them is probably going to land the right tackle job. Um, and the other one, you really want to get some time playing, and they're going to stick him at guard. But okay, so does that mean Aboshi is the is the backup, or do you want to keep um, a backup who's younger and cheaper, like a, a Jordan Roos type, or um, maybe even a guy like a, a Justin Senior? Although I think he lands on the practice squad as the backup. So, you know, you've got other options there. And so it, it kind of just see, we'll see how everything falls out. And if with Glowinski being over there on the right side too, I, honestly, I look at the options and I go, he may not have the highest ceiling of all of them, but he's the best player now. So I'm going to, I would, I would pencil him in as a starter at right guard. And then you go, okay, so now you've got the POSIC, um and uh, a Fetty uh, battle at right, uh, at right tackle, the back, the loser of that's also going to make the team. Where does a Boshi fit? Uh, and so it, it becomes a really well, the, interesting battle. I think well, it, three it, of those four on the roster at the end of the, it, at the end it of does. Camp. It does come down to uh, really a, a Posick and a, a Bushi. Who's better out of those two? That's the guy that's going to start at either right tackle or right guard. I mean, there's, to me, there's really no other way to look at it other than Glowinski's going to be over there too. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It'll yeah, be I, interesting. I just can't. I can't see the team. I, I know they they want competition, and that's their thing. Is they want the guys to push each other. But I look at this list and I go, just look at that at the play from last year. Even though, even with um, Abushi in Houston, 
uh, of all of those guys, Glowinski was the best player yeah. of the group. And how does he not have uh, that starting right uh, guard job at the end of training camp? I just don't see it. Well, here's my, I mean, let's just talk about it right now. Here's my nine guys that I see making the team. Britt, Glowinski, Effetti, Jokel, Fant. Those would also be my starters probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Posick is the number six lineman that can swing all over the place. Uh, Riso Diambo, Udi Abushi, I've got him making the team only because he's better than some other guy we'd probably need to cut. And then Joey Hunt at center, that's nine. And then you cut Parasak, Jordan Roos, who then lands on the practice squad, Robert Myers, and Justin Sr., also a practice squad guy. Mm-hmm. To me, that that makes the most sense. Well, I look at that, and that, that's that's very similar to the direction I would go. They're, they have 13 offensive linemen um, on the roster right now. They'll keep nine. They might keep eight, but I doubt it because they need... Um, You're right. I mean, I guess if I guess if if a Fetty comes in and absolutely owns that right tackle job on day one, uh, and they can get Posick to swing on, at three positions as a backup, they might drop to eight. Um, and Joey Hunt would lose. And Joey Hunt would lose because you'd have a backup center in Posick. So, um, but really, you're thinking nine. So you're like, okay, what four guys are you going to cut? Um, Parasac seems like a fairly obvious one. Robert Myers is going to go, despite the fact that he's got an awesome last name. Um, uh, Justin Sr., I have very little hope for whatsoever after having watched his uh, college tape ex- extensively. He seems like a, like a guy who's just not going to last. He just doesn't have the feet. and He's just a big, lumbering, slow guy. Um, and so to me, that those are three guys very easily that you can write off. And you go, okay, so who's the fourth? And it comes down to me to uh, Abushi or Jordan Roos. And yeah. um, Roos was a undrafted free agent, but he was a priority. They gave him twenty grand out of the eighty grand that they can use in signing bonuses for undrafted players. They gave him a quarter of it uh, because they wanted him. Uh, and he's a powerful run blocker, even though he can't pass block at all. And Abushi, who is the experienced guy, the veteran, but he's a better pass blocker, not a particularly good run blocker. Uh, which way are you going to go with that? You know, take 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 your pick. I think most I fans think... would rather say Aboshi because he's because of the experience and because of the yeah. pass blocking. But we're talking about Tom Cable, and Tom Cable's going to go with the younger guy, the project, and the run blocker. I still think though, so... Keith, is you got to keep Aboshi on the roster on the fifty three. And you can put a guy like Jordan Roos, even a guy if you cut Joey Hunt, those guys are ha, have a high likelihood that will be available for the practice squad. And then uh, you can have cable work with them over there. Yeah, if you can get if you can get it if you can get Roos through onto the practice squad, I think you you know you kind of have to do that. Um, the other thing you got to look at is uh, what does Aboshi's contract look like? Because if any he signed a fairly small deal. I think it was one and a half million, but I don't remember how much of it's guaranteed. Um, and if it's, if any of any significant portion of that's guaranteed, that gives him an inside track to that spot. And if it's not, then I could see them cutting him. It seems like, um, it's, it's just off the top of my head. I'm thinking it's like around eight, 800,000 of it was guaranteed, but I, oh, see, that, I I'm that, just, to me, that's significant because that's half his contract and that's, yeah. that's enough to, to pay two uh, guys like Jordan Roos, uh, who are undrafted free agents, and so you can, you know, you if you cut Abushi, you still have that dead money sitting there eating up your salary cap space. Whereas, or you could just keep him, uh, and you know, try and fit Roos through to the practice squad, or find someone else's uh, practice squad guy that you can, you know, steal. Yeah, I think Roos to the practice squad is the most likely situation, but. We haven't we haven't yet seen these guys in camp, and mm-hmm. so he could come and really pop, and then then you've got to make a decision. I think it does come down to Abushi and Roos, um, like you said, and then I think Hunt is possibly on the bubble. Um, I've given him a fifty fifty shot right now. Yeah. So 
he's in a tough spot because he doesn't he doesn't play anything but center. And if he if he played guard, then basically he would be like um, uh, uh, Lemuel Jean Pierre from a few yes. years ago, where the team kept trying to get rid of him but couldn't uh, because of his ability to play center and guard and do all of them, you know at a reasonably skill level. And so even though they, they kept wanting to try and upgrade, they, having someone that can play all those positions and be a backup there and then only only keep eight offensive linemen on the active roster became too valuable. So they just kept bringing him back and kept bringing him back. But at this point, Hunt's a center, and he's not anything else, and that's going to work against him. So we've kind of touched base on all the players, but let's talk about tackles real quick and and figure out who's going to be on the left side and the right side and uh, get into some details on these guys. So I've got uh, Jermaine Fetty at right tackle, Juke Local at left tackle. Ethan Posick is going to start out competing with Jermaine Fetty at right tackle. Uh, uh, Robert Myers, right tackle. Uh, They've got Justin Senior penciled in at left tackle uh, and George Fant over there as well. Um, I, for everything that I'm hearing out of Cable, out of Pete Carroll, um, says that George Fant is a totally different player this year as far as his body is concerned. And, uh, we'll just have to see if he pops on the field or not. Yeah. I mean, there, he was undersized last year and, uh, that didn't help him. But that wasn't the cause of his struggles. His struggles were 100% technique or probably 98% technique driven. Um, and, and fully understandable. And fully understandable. I mean, this was a, this was a basketball player who had, hadn't played football in forever, had never really played on the offensive line. It's ever. actually a really great so, story. I mean, is. I just, I love the George Fant story, especially if this year he ends up holding his job over Jokel, a f- number, you know, number one, number two for overall pick in the draft. And here's Fant, a guy that, you know, wasn't playing football at all, takes the job from him in camp and, and ends up having, you know, a eight, 10 year career with the Seahawks. That would be yep. awesome. My, my concern is that Tom Cable is not a guy that does a good job of teaching technique. He's a, when, when he, when when you see him teaching and you see him out there, he's a big picture guy. He wants, he works on getting guys targeted correctly. So, which is, which is not easy to do in the zone blocking scheme where it's a matter of, um, who do you block? When do you peel off that block, move up to the next level? When you do move up to the next level, which of the guys do you target and, and setting these things up? And it's, it's a complicated system in terms uh, of that stuff. And that is what you see. Uh, cable teaching during practice just over and over and over and it's all this big picture what to do um, when do you chop block uh, not chop cut block um, when do you not you know when do you try and turn a guy when do you try and stand him up um, so it's it's these bigger picture things but the individual techniques where to place your hands um, how to move your feet in a certain way you know like your slide step and um you know where do you, where and when with your, do you use your punch and you know how not to turn your shoulders when you got a guy coming over the edge and just all of these little technique things I never see him teaching and these are the things that guys like Fant need um, and if they could get him some some tutoring some help on the individual little techniques he would make these make a much bigger jump than just his changing his body type and getting him you know, targeted because what he right. needs is are those little details that he's never learned because he's never been an offensive lineman before. So I think he's got a good shot. You know, they've talked about him. Um, uh, if, if he doesn't win that spot, he's, he's a backup and he's behind Jokel mm-hmm. and that might be a, a good and possibly likely spot for him this year. Um, if, um, if Jokel wins that left tackle spot, what does that do then down the line, especially at left guard? Um, well, what you do is if Jokel is, is there at the left tackle, um, what you have at left guard is you, you've kind of, 
you know you have your veteran, so you can put in a more inexperienced guy guy at, at left guard, whether that be uh, Reese Adiambo or maybe move uh, Glowinski back over, which I think would be great. I think um, I think Glowinski back over to the left side if Jokel wins is likely to me. Yeah, because I mean, because otherwise Reese Adiambo has got to really make that that second year jump because. Mm-hmm. Who else? Who else do you have? I mean, you've got Jordan Roos over there. Um, th- yeah, that's that's it at this point. Yep. Posick possibly. No, I, I I would be willing to bet they keep him on the right side. I I I would guess they would be more likely to move Glow back over to the left side than they would be to move Posick over because I think you're exactly it's, right. It's just the whole he's a rookie. Let's let's not overwhelm him. Um, I think. What they, I think they would prefer at. They would prefer that Fant come in and look and be a competent NFL starter, like a league average guy, and have Jokel at left guard. I think that's what they want. Um, if I that think you're absolutely right. Keith. If that doesn't happen and Jokel has to slide out, then they'll shuffle a little bit. They'll get. Um, They'll get probably Glowinski back over there on the left side, and they'll be fine because you know they'll still have Jokel, Glowinski, Britt. Um, and then like either Posick or, or Aboshi at right guard and um, Effetti at right tackle. And they'll have a line that they can move forward with. So let's stop for a second and talk about Luke Jokel. Um, we haven't really talked a lot about him. He's a, you know, definitely a tackle first guy. Played well, though, at guard last year in four games before he got hurt. Tore up his knee quite a bit. Had surgery. Um so he's not yet ready to participate in camp. They're expecting him back in camp, but there's still that question mark. Is his knee going to hold up? And um, is he what Seattle needs uh, for a left tackle? No. <laughs> um, he isn't. Oh, come but, on, Keith. Help me out. But what? Okay. So... <laughs> I, there isn't there isn't much concern that his knee is going to have long term. It, it's never going to be the same. It wasn't that kind of injury. Um, he'll be back. He'll be ready to play. Um, he'll miss some of this off season stuff, but he'll be there. He's supposed to be ready, full participant, day one of training camp. So there isn't a lot of concern there. Um, if you go and you look at his tape as a tackle. Um, he was never a great pass blocker and he was not a good pass blocker as a left guard either. Um, and it's not that he doesn't have the physical talent to do it, but there, at least when he was at tackle, there was a certain degree of, you could tell he was overthinking things and just, there were just mistakes. And he so was that hesitation mistakes, so. against athletic, uh, defensive ends and tackles really yeah. expose him. It, it, and, that, and that was really more of what I saw than anything. It was there. Yeah. There was just a hesitation, him overthinking things, him just not playing and reacting and, and um, you know, just having that uh, those you know, that, that where everything's instinctual. Um, and that is really kind of what was missing in his game. Uh, when they moved him inside, we only had three games to watch. There's a lot of some of the same stuff, but he was also the, at that point dealing with bigger, stronger guys uh, who maybe weren't as quick. So there were some times when he got just, you know, had had some difficulty, um, but it, it, it wasn't as bad. Now, when you look at him as a run blocker, which is the reason why Cable likes him and why he's here, is that this is a guy who actually is, is, is pretty good as a run well, blocker. Well, talk, talk to me so. about scheme. Like, talk to me about scheme fit. Well, it's hard because he played in in um, in two different schemes in uh, in Jacksonville, um, but they didn't they didn't use the same uh, zone blocking scheme that Seattle does. Uh, but they do have had a lot of zone concepts involved, so it, it's not going to be one of those things where he's never seen it before. Uh, this isn't a, a Jari Evans situation where. Um, you know, he's never done it. Uh, so he's done some of it. He's just never done it full time. And so I think 
he'll, I think he'll get it. I think he'll pick it up. I'm not, I'm not really overly concerned about that just because they do a lot of zone concepts, but it's not a full on zone so, blocking everything. So do you, do you think that uh, he was their first, he was their first or second choice in free agency to come in? No. Or, okay. So if he wasn't, did they settle for him or do they truly believe that um, based on their scheme that this is a guy that they've identified that can be successful? I think what happened is they went after TJ Lang to be the right guard and give them that veteran presence, and they didn't get him. He went to Detroit. And then they they were looking and like, okay, we need, we need a tackle, and we need one on our budget. Um, and the other tackles on the market were flying. You know, they were just going to other teams very quickly at prices the Seahawks weren't willing to pay. And so they went and they go, okay, we need a, a veteran presence who has the athleticism to succeed in our scheme, who's not going to cost us an arm and a leg. And they identified Jokel based on those criteria. And they brought him in because he does have the athleticism to be successful. Um, he doesn't know the scheme, but he has the athleticism to actually do it well once he learns it. Um, and because of his injury, he wasn't going to cost them, you know, 10, 12 million like some of the other tackles. So ideally, as as Keith said, Luke Jokel actually ends up playing left guard and Fant wins that spot on the left tackle side. Because if you look at the left guards without Luke Jokel in there, we're, we're pretty light unless you move Glowinski back. So yeah, I think... You've got, you got Adiamba who... Um, I believe projects better as a tackle than a guard and his uh, tape from last season, although it was limited, does uh, back that up. You've got Jordan Roos, who's an undrafted rookie who his college tape says he can't pass block at all. Um, And those are your two guys that are competing um, at that left uh, left guard spot. If Jokel is at uh, the left tackle spot. And that's why I think that if that happens, you're going to see um, Glow move back over to the left side. So I guess the last guy remaining that we haven't really talked too much about uh, so far today is Ethan Posick. I mean, we've we've talked about him in relationship to starting out at right tackle over there, uh, competing uh, with Jermaine Effetti. Uh, I think all hopes in, uh, for the team is that their uh, first round pick from 2016 wins that job at right tackle, uh, where does that leave uh, Posick if Glowinski wins that right guard spot? Or or if, you know, Fant wins the left tackle spot, it's likely Glowinski moves back and Posick starts out at right guard. Yeah, I mean, uh, what does that do with, um, what does that do for Posick? I think you look at guys that come in to Tom Cable's scheme and it's probably best that they don't start week one. It's, it really is a complicated scheme for offensive linemen to get right and to give them more time to, to um, practice in the system, to get used to all of the communication and terminology and, you know, to get targeted, right. So that they're, they're not thinking as much and they're just playing um, it wouldn't hurt Posick to be the backup right tackle, right guard, and center um, for the first five, six weeks until somebody gets hurt. Um, if Posick doesn't start, you've got four out of the five linemen that we had last year back as starters, although there's a couple of position swaps. So there is some continuity there. Yeah. Um, and you know, you move, you've moved glow from the left side to the right side. You moved to Fetty from guard to tackle. Uh, so yeah, so there, there are some, there's a little bit of movement, but getting those guys, I, I, as bad as the line was last year, getting those same guys back out there isn't necessarily a bad thing because Brit and glow were both pretty good. Um, and in that scenario, if Fant is the starter at left tackle, it's not because he's, the incumbent or because they're looking for continuity. It's only because he took a massive step forward and is ready to be a, the starter and at least be a, a league average player. Um, and so you look at those three guys, you're like, okay, you know, we can work with that because that means you've got three guys that are, that are going to be good. You've got um, uh, Jokel at 
uh, left guard who is also, you know, you expect to be pretty good. And so then the one uh, question mark becomes a Fetty at right uh, tackle. But it also means that he's earned that spot over Posit. Right. I really uh, like what they did, Keith. I mean, you know, everyone is, is having a hard time with the offensive line. But, you know, given the situation, given free agency, the way that it went down, uh, given uh, the draft where it was defensive heavy at the top and, and it didn't make sense to take a, a guard or a tackle at the top of the draft, given all of that, um, I really like what they did. They kept the guys that they wanted to go forward with. They jettisoned Gilliam. Um, you can argue whether or not he was worth the contract that he got. I think he may have been worth the contract and they they might have done well to bring him back, but he's gone. So, but the, the, the guys that, that we do have, and we've got probably seven guys that you could realistically see starting. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think that's not a, not a bad thing to have, have some, some depth. I'm, I'm still a little concerned that they don't have anybody in this group. That's a high end, um, pro bowl caliber guy, but can we afford that though? That I, at some point you have to have one or two or three, um, they don't have to be all pros. Who would you give up on the team to ha- to to cover the salary for that, those type of players? Well, you know they have nine million of salary cap sitting there unused right now. Um, if you look at uh, over the cap, they have nine million. Of but they they wouldn't space. then be able to extend Graham or Chancellor. Uh, not necessarily. Um, I don't know if they're going to extend Chancellor anyway. And you can actually extend Jimmy Graham in a way that lowers his salary cap number for this year. Uh, because his, his, I was num- just testing you. I was just testing num- you. His number has no, <laughs> has n- zero dead money attached to it. It has zero signing bonus money attached to it. So you can, can, you know, pay him, give him a decent signing bonus, convert some of this year's, uh, contract to signing bonus and extend him by two or three years, get that, uh, salary down from nine and a half down to about seven or six and have three extra million to, to pay someone. Well, so cable did come out. Cable did come out in that interview I spoke of earlier and reaffirmed what all of us were thinking in the fact that he said, you know what, you got to pay your pass rushers, you got to pay your defensive linemen, your secondary guys, your quarterback, right, your wide receivers. I said, you know, that doesn't leave a lot left over for your offensive line. And he said, you know what, we won a Super Bowl like that. Now, granted, the Super Bowl that they won had an offensive line where they had experience and they were paying those guys. They were the highest paid offensive line in the NFL. But I I get his premise, which is this is the way that they've constructed their roster. They're paying all these other guys. I don't you'd have to give up eventually, Keith. I, I realize you can extend guys, but eventually, if you've got two or three Pro Bowl caliber guys on the offensive line and you extend second contracts to those guys, you're gonna have to give up other parts of your team that you currently have. And my question is, what other parts of the team or specific players would you give up to have those three Pro Bowl caliber offensive linemen? Um, I would actually be okay with trading if the Seahawks had traded Jimmy Graham this offseason for a, a Pro Bowl offensive lineman and paid them and then had enough money to uh, extend Justin Britt and keep him so that way they have at least two good guys on the line. Um, I would have been okay with that because at some point you... Well, we underutilized Jimmy Graham. True, and, and you end up with diminishing returns for all of your other investments on offense when the offensive line is as bad as it was last year. Because they had Jimmy Graham, and they had Doug Baldwin, and they had Russell Wilson, and they had um, you know the talent on offense to do things that they weren't able to do uh, because the offensive line was so bad. So you end up with diminishing returns on the investments that you've made on offense because of the line. So you're better off... Uh, diversifying your portfolio a little bit and having more talent on the line, maybe a little less at receiver um, or tight end in order to um, get the most out of the talent that you do have. Do you like overall, last question, because we need to wrap this up, but yep. do you like overall the the way that they've gone about constructing uh, the line roster this year? And do you, are you optimistic that it's going to be not just better, but significantly better to the point where we could be a, a middle to the average 
offensive line this year uh, make Russell Wilson better, make our running game better, and give our receivers a little bit more time to get open? Um, I am cautiously optimistic. There's a lot of guys there that I like, but I don't. You're what you're looking at is in order for it to happen, you have to have a lot of what ifs come true. You know, you've got to have um, Fant take that step. You've got to have Effetti, um be competent at right tackle, even though he wasn't at right guard. You have to have, um, you know, Glowinski be as good as he was at right guard as he was at left or better. Um, you need to have uh, Justin Britt be as good as he was last year and not like the, the previous two seasons. Um, so there's a lot of ifs. And if they all happen, then then the offensive line can be good. But we know from experience that not all of them are going to happen. So, okay, of that group, you know, do you, can you get away with three out of five? Uh, maybe, because that'll still be a significant improvement over last year. Um, and so I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, but until I get a chance to see uh, Jokel in this blocking scheme, until I get a chance to see what Posick does in this offense, until I get a chance to see Effetti at tackle, I'm not going to just buy in because there's just too much evidence over the last few years uh, for me to, to just not be able to do so. I think that's totally fair. And I think that that would be a, a f- fair for anybody to, to, to argue and to say. I mean, Cable's going to come out and he's going to always say, this is the best offensive line we've had since, you know, 2012. And everyone's going to go, yay, because, you know. But you're totally realistic in the fact yeah. that we're we're depending on Fant to, to pop. We're depending on Jokel to come in and play, um, to play well, uh, not, not just okay but you know seven eight million dollars well we're expecting Jermaine Effetti to pop out to the right tackle spot and step up his game a little bit so you you're right I mean there's a lot of unknowns and things but you could go through the entire roster and say similar things save for a couple of position groups mm-hmm. and um you know it it seems like uh we've we've been to the playoffs now for for a while We've Five got a great, we've got a great coach. Um, been to two Super Bowls in the last four years. One one. I think I think we'll be okay. I think we're going to be okay with this line. I mean, I'm I'm way more optimistic than I was last year. This time, last year, this time, you could just see the writing on the wall oh, when yeah. they had when they had Webb and so all. It's like, oh, uh, this is not going to work. And I, quite honestly, it ruined our season. But I don't see that this year. I don't see that I, that this offensive line is going to ruin our chances at going deep into the playoffs. Agreed. It's just a matter of um, if this is like um, not last year, but the year before where it starts off a little rough, but then they gel at the end and the offense goes crazy. No one's going to complain. Right. Uh, well, that's not true. There will always be people who complain. Um, yes. But no one should complain <laughs> because – you know, there this is still a young group. They're still learning, but it, and, and they it, still it, are changing positions. Yeah, and so if it starts out a little rough, okay. As long as they gel at some point and do like they did in the 2015 year, where they just went on a roll down down the stretch and and look like a good competent group, I think we'll all be okay. Okay, let's wrap. So this up. yeah, let's wrap it. Do you have any mailbag questions today, Keith? I don't. I actually forgot to ask. And I don't either, and so we'll skip that this week. Awesome. And uh, so, yeah, so that's a close on this podcast. I knew <laughs> in my brain I was prepared to go deeper and, and talk about defensive uh, tackles and so forth, but I knew that we probably wouldn't. So No, the offensive no, line is just too big of an issue. I mean, yeah, because of how bad it was last year, it, it, it was right to spend the time on it. And maybe uh, next podcast we can talk about defensive tackles. Maybe we can talk about uh, throw defensive ends in there again and then talk about linebackers and safeties on the on the following one. So um, that's it. Thanks awesome. for listening, everybody. And thanks for uh, being here again, Keith. You can find Keith on Twitter at MyersNFL. I'm at NWSeahawk, Northwest Seahawk. Uh, our um, podcast page is... Uh, Hawks Playbook, at Hawks Playbook. And uh, we will soon have a website up and running to have the podcast land 
But for now, you can find it on Blog Talk Radio. You can subscribe at iTunes or your preferred um, uh, pod listening app. And that's it for this show. So we'll see you next week. And uh, until next time, have a great week, Keith. Enjoy the weather. Yeah, you too. Thanks for listening, everyone. Take care. Bye. The Hawks Playbook Podcast is brought to you by the Fan Sighted Network and 12thmanrising.com. Find our podcast on the website or subscribe on iTunes. You can find both Bill and Keith on Twitter. Bill is at NWC Hawk and Keith is at Myers NFL.